Hey, what's up, everyone? You are on the Eden Podcast, and we are so glad that you're here. I hope that the next 30 minutes will help you to become the person that God always dreamed you could be. Let's get started. Well, hey, I want to thank all of you for being here with us today. Uh, really, really grateful that we can continue in the series that we started a few weeks ago that we're calling Playlist. And I am so excited to have uh, Corey Leak here with us. Uh, really, really appreciate you uh, making some time to invest in our community. Thanks for being here. Oh, dude, thanks for having me. I, I'm honored to be here. Well, uh, Corey, I, I really want to help our people get a sense of who you are. And so I'm going to just take a moment to read your bio. Uh, but after that, I'd love for you maybe to share a little bit more about your brief story, your story of faith, and yeah. uh, just to help people get a sense of, of, of who you are. But Corey is a husband. He's a father. He's a writer. He's a speaker. And, uh, and he's really devoted his life to contending for a better world by facilitating important social conversations on issues like race, religion, sexuality, and violence. He hosts a podcast called Existential, and he's been committed to the work of anti-racism education his entire life. And so uh, that's, that's a little bit about you, but we'd love to maybe have you elaborate a little bit more. Yeah, man. I grew up um, in church, basically. I grew up in the AME church. The AME is African Methodist Episcopal Church. Um, that was the the church that my dad, who adopted me, was the pastor of. My biological father owned a bar in Chicago. Um, and so I kind of grew up with this interesting sort of complex, um, you know, childhood, you know, with a, with a dad that I called dad, who was a pastor and and a father who owned a bar, which is a whole nother conversation for another day. Um, but like we, um, you know, I grew up in church. I grew up in black church on Sunday. And then on, during the week, I went to a predominantly white Christian school um, in a town about 30 minutes from where I live because my parents believed that the schools where we lived uh, were too violent and dangerous for their children to go to. So we went out to the suburbs to go to, go to school. So I, I've always grown up with this, um, interesting relationship with my race being African-American and um, faith where like I had on Sundays, again, I went, you know, my, as a kid, I viewed our church as pretty boring. <laughs> it was very liturgical, lots of call and response. And then during the week, I was a part of a predominantly white, almost all white evangelical school. So we'd have chapels and Bible classes. And so my learning about God was both from this traditional, um, very Afrocentric place, as well as a more white evangelical teaching and understanding of God. So that's how I grew up and started working in churches. As I got older, I was leading worship um, for churches. And um, up until 2000, no, up until 2017, I think 2018, I was working for churches full time. Um, and then in 2018, we kind of went out on our own and started trying to facilitate more of these sort of conversations about um, social issues, like the ones mentioned in the bio, whether it's race or gender or sexuality, conversations we felt like people were having that they weren't necessarily having in their churches. We were like, well, why don't we meet people where they're at and start having these conversations Yeah, where I am now? That's awesome. And and actually that's that's partly how, you know, I got introduced to you. We have a mutual friend. He said, "Hey, you you got to you got to connect with with Corey. He's really talking about uh, 
like you said, some some important issues. And so I went to your social media pages and checked you out. But really, the conversation you had with TBC, uh, which is an organization here in the Bay Area that uh, supports a lot of uh, spiritual faith conversations, and uh, and I I was really just blown away by really your unique perspective. And so that's that's when I started reaching out to you because I really loved um, the way that you approached the conversation and really thought that it would be helpful for our church to hear how, how you're processing all of what's happening in the world. And for us, over the last few weeks, we have really tried to dig into the racial injustice conversation really for the first time as a community. And I think that in a lot of ways, what we have been wrestling with is how do we respond to this individually? Like, I know all of us are coming from unique backgrounds, and so so all of us are wrestling with this in a in a different way. But I think one of the things that I would love for you to maybe speak into uh, for our community to give us your perspective is really to help us process what what does it look like now? Like what what where do we go from here? Like we're talking about the issue, we're, we're processing it together. But as an organization, you know what? How how does the church uh, how, how does the church participate in lasting change in this area? What does that look like in the past? Where have churches done a good job? And, and maybe where has the church been too silent on some of these issues? Um, lo- would love for you to kind of share some of your perspective on that. Yeah, man, I, I hope I can do that well. Um, you know, there, there's so much that we could be here for a long time uh, yeah. just talking about that. But uh, I'll just a quick story that I want to, I want to read a quote, actually. Um, I, the other night I woke up at like three 30 and I just couldn't go back to sleep. You know how, you know, sometimes you wake up and it's like temporary, like I'm up, but I can, I'm still sleepy. And, and sometimes you wake up and it's like, I'm up, you know, and, and those, yeah. those are moments where, you know, traditionally Christians, we ask ourselves, is God starting to say something to us? Should, should I get up and pray? What, I don't know, you know, any of those things. And, and so I actually woke up, I read, I started reading John, um, the Gospel of John, and then I actually started reading um, uh, Rhetoric by Aristotle. And I found something really interesting, right, in Aristotle's work. He says, we define a friend as one who will always try for your sake to do what he takes to be good for you. Mm. And whenever I think about what people can do, whether it's whether it's a, an institution like a church as a whole or individually, when it comes to racial injustice in America, I think you can be a friend to the black community. You can be a friend to the black and brown community. And by being a friend, it means I'm thinking about what is best for you. And the only way that I can know what's best for you is if I ask you, right? Mm -hmm. If if you and I are having a conversation and and, and I say, hey, you know, what are you feeling? And, And what are you thinking? And how are you processing this? If I'm truly your friend, I'm going to listen. I'm going to ask questions. I'm going to be empathetic. I'm going to try to see things from your point of view, even if initially I disagree with them. Because here's what I find um, so in, in this conversation, especially, that becomes difficult for people is to listen to another person share an experience that they don't understand. And sometimes what happens is because they don't understand it or they disagree with it, they're very quick to meet people's feelings with an argument. Well, mm. anybody who's married knows that that doesn't work. Right? Yeah. You can't, I can't meet your feelings with an argument. I have to meet your feelings with listening and understanding and questions. Yeah. 
I have to meet your feelings with curiosity. If I truly care about our relationship, that's how I have to meet your your feelings. And, and I find that like it's important that if if the church of Jesus is going to be engaged in the work of, of anti-racism and the work of racial justice, it begins not with what you say, but with but what but with listening and learning and taking in the stories of other people and, and taking into account what they're experiencing and um, trying to to look at the Bible and look at the history of the church through the lens of other people. That's right? so good. Everything started to change for me in terms yeah. of how I understood scripture when I started reading more people of color, reading more women's takes, mm. like all of those things. Like when you, I read, I just recently, about a month or so ago, finished a book called The Five Books of Miriam, a woman's commentary on the Torah. And reading that, reading the Torah, reading about, um, you know, the, some of the things, some of the Levitical law through the lens of the women who would be experiencing these laws is so eye-opening. And it so changes the dynamic of like, oh, that's what that, it's what it sounds like. That's what that sounds like to a woman. That's yeah. what that sounds like to someone from the LBGTQ plus community. That's yeah. what that sounds like from someone who's black. And I think that those things are so important for the church is to go, where have I been getting my perspective? And for all of us in America, I would, I don't know that this is, you know, some statistician can fact check me on this, but I would bet you that that 70% or more of what we take in in American church in terms of our theology and our scholarship and what we understand about the Bible is from white men. And that has a lens that has a shape. I know that a lot of people talk about like the Bible as if they only read it and hear from God directly about what, what it actually says. But the reality is all of us have pillars uh, and lenses that shape how we see everything. So our right. experience, our tradition, um, and, and you know, our, our own logic affects how we look at scripture. And if that lens, and if we're reading that only from white men, we're only getting one part of the story. Mm. And so I think it's important that like, you, you know, what you're doing right now, what we're doing right now, that you op- that you make space for the perspective of someone who may be different than yours. And sometimes even may be triggering, but you yeah. make space by going, oh, I'm going to sit and listen to this. I'm not going to get defensive. I'm not going yeah. to, like, I'm not going to combat it. I'm not going to like argue with it. I'm going to take it in. I'm going to listen to it. I'm going to process it. And I'm going to ask questions for clarity's sake, not to try to disprove what they're saying. Yeah. But I'm going to ask questions for clarity's sake, and I think that's really important. That's awesome. No, that's that's really helpful. And so, you know, I mean, as as you begin to open up and and listen and and hear and you know, and I think that's a lot of been a lot of what we're trying to do right now to bring in other voices that have been grappling with these issues longer than a few weeks. You know, mm-hmm. that that have a backlog of of knowledge and experience and conversations. And I guess the question also then is, is as an organization, how do, we, how do we continue to make a lasting impact as we're having these conversations, as we're, as we're listening to people, we're being impacted, how do we, how do we sustain um, whatever is transforming inside of us as we're hearing these voices? How do we sustain that for the long haul? How, how have you seen churches do that well? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, man, I don't know that I have seen a lot of churches do that well. Mm. Um, to be honest with you. Um, yeah. 
sure there are churches that are, but I, I would, I haven't seen it. Um, and I would say that, you know, one of the things that I've, I've been saying about this particular issue is I think about how the ancient Hebrew people and their experiences with God would build an altar. Mm. They'd build something that would stay there so that they could remember what God did in a particular moment. Or when anytime something amazing or transcendent happened, we even see this in, in the gospels when um, on the, the, what's called the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus is talking, I think it's Moses and Elijah, and, and they're having this conversation. And the three disciples who are with Jesus are like, oh my gosh, this is so amazing. Should we build three altars? Should we build three, three monuments to remember this mm-hmm. moment? And I think that that's where it starts. It's like, what, what do we build into our way of thinking? What do we build into our, our organizational structure? What do we build into how we do small groups, how we preach sermons, how we do yeah. our websites? I mean, what do, we, what do we build into the fabric of who we are that is a memorial to remember George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, um, all of the triggering events that caused a national conversation around race and racism? What can we as a church do that says, we're going to put something here because inevitably we, we have to move, we have to talk about other things, right? We're going to, we're going to do other series. We're going to, we're going to go through the book yeah. of Ephesians and we're going to do those things, right? But as yeah. we're doing those things, what can we put in the ground? What can we put in, in, in our memory that helps us to remember that there are still, there's still work to do. There are still people facing racial oppression in our community. Um, in our in our in our country, in our state, in our schools, in workplaces, there are still people facing inequities, and we we don't want to forget those people. That's really good. That's good. And let me let me just ask on the back end um, of that. And I'm going off script just a little bit. Yeah, for but, sure. Um, but you know what 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 happens to a church that doesn't doesn't mm-hmm. build this into their culture after having gone through an experience like this? What happens to a church that doesn't do that? Yeah, well, man, I'll, I'll tell you what, what happens is it's very disheartening for the people who had a sense of hope um, to then have that crushed. Because when you enter into conversations like these, which just about every church in America that I'm aware of has done, yeah, then you go on with business as usual as if, as if everything is solved. Yeah. You have people in your in your church and in your community who would look to you and went, oh, like, what? Like they, they get it. They they understand me. They get me. In fact, um, there's data out there and, and and medical research even that that finds that there is something, there's a health, there's a physical health benefit to being around people who get you. Right? Wow. Yeah, so that makes when sense. You, Think it, it like when you when you start to lean into people who you think get you, your your body is sort of responding with joy, and, and there's probably all these chemicals released and endorphins that give you like a sense of of, of relaxation and, and everything else. To to lean in only to have that taken away from you, I imagine is probably even more detrimental than if they had not started to talk about it at all. You know, so I think it's important that like you know this question that you're asking is such an important one. Is like sustainability beyond the initial emotional reaction to something that happened, right? Everyone had to respond, yeah. but there are right responses. 
there's a right way. Uh, now, initially, the, the right way to get a kid out of the middle of the street when there's an oncoming car is to just run out there and save the kid. There yeah. isn't like a protocol. You're not, you're not going to look around and ask, hey, who's going to do that? You're just going to go, you're going to act. But once the kid is out of the street, to keep the kid from going back into the middle of the so street, there, there's a way of doing that. There's a talking to the parents. There's a, a understanding. There's a recognition of well, what's the problem that these that this kid keeps getting in the street. Is there is should we put a fence up? Should we talk to the parents? Is, does he need to be educated? Is it all of those things? And that's so I so think good. that the the important step that we have to take is beyond we got the kid out of the street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. How do we keep him from going back? That's so good. That's so good. Corey, I really appreciate those thoughts. Um, one thing I'd love to hear from you, because, you know, I think that so much of, of how we have responded to this, to us has been driven by scripture, by, by God's word. And, you know, I hope that that directs so much of how we operate as a church. And so I just wonder for you, as, as you've started engaging in these conversations, as you've made it a point to talk about anti-racism and other cultural issues, what are some scriptures that really help to motivate the conversation for you, that, that motivate you to keep stepping into what for many feel like uncomfortable conversations, hard conversations? And I've seen your social media page and uh, you don't, you know, you get a lot of people unhappy with, with what you're talking about. And so I, I just wonder what, what are some scriptures that help, help to drive, drive you in this area? Yeah, that's a great question, man. I think that my perspective on on scripture when it comes to this is is really zoomed out and looking at the totality of where you find God placed amongst ancient people. Where where do you see God doing work, right? And where whom with whom do you find God breathing and animating their reality? Mm. When you see Jesus as an example, who do you find Jesus spending his time with? Who, are, who does Jesus make heroes in the stories of, that he tells and, and the, the parables that he tells? That a lot of these parables, like the Good Samaritan parable, for example, um, Jesus was, was part of a rabbinic tradition. So rabbis, rabbis were grabbing stories from each other all the time that existed in their, in their culture. And they were telling them in, a, in, a, in slightly different ways to make different points. The Good Samaritan story, as an example, would have been one of those stories that the reasonable expectation of how that story ends would be that it would be a Jewish person who is the hero. It would be a Jewish man after the priest and uh, the Levite walk past the man who's left on the side of the road. The reasonable expectation for the listeners and early readers of that story would be like, oh, this is okay. I know what happens next. A a devout Jew comes by who is an ordinary Jew and saves this man's life. But no, Jesus flips the script and says a Samaritan. Mm. So you'd have to understand how deeply entrenched the hatred was for Jewish people towards Samaritans and vice versa for that to make any sense. Like, because we look at it now, thousands of years later, it's like, oh yeah, it was a good Samaritan. We don't really understand the, 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 the context, right? It's not even comparable to black and white because blacks and whites don't even hate each other as much as Samaritans and Jews hated mm. each other, right? So yeah. you, you're probably going extreme ends of, of maybe someone from the clan and someone from the black Hebrew Israelites in terms of the gap between them and the hatred between them. So Jesus talking to a clan rally would say that then a black Hebrew Israelite walks down, the, walks down that road to help. So when I think about scripture, I think, how am I orienting my thoughts around what I'm reading and what my expectation of God is? 
Mm. And where, uh, like what, for instance, I often think a lot about Mary's song in Luke. Luke is my favorite of the gospel writers uh, because Luke does a lot of, of highlighting of, of Jesus's encounters with women, mm-hmm. uh, which, is, which is pretty revolutionary for, for the time period. And when I read Mary's song in particular, her declaration of what it meant that she was carrying the savior of the world was very much a social commentary on the relationship between her as a poor Palestinian girl and the Roman Empire mm. and those who benefited from the Roman Empire. So she, we, we, we often focus on the my soul doth magnify the Lord part, which is awesome, but she also says that the mighty are gonna be pulled down from their thrones because this whole, the last shall be first and the first shall be last, the upside down kingdom that Jesus came to announce is one that if there's someone who's crushed and marginalized, or if there's a group of people who are oppressed, if there's a group of people who society pushes to the side and does wrong, we always find God, as in mm. the Exodus story, right with those people, siding with those people, sitting with those people. So for me, again, those, those are the sort of scriptural background or matrix, matrixes that I use when I'm thinking, okay, where, like, as a person of faith, how should I be talking about this and why is this important? It's always that for me. That's like, Oh, this is always what God's been doing. Yeah. Always. I mean, with the the prophets condemnation of, of the nation of Israel was always about how they treated the orphan and the widow, the people who society, according to the Torah was supposed to, to protect and guard and surround to keep safe were being exploited by powerful people. So the prophets would rise up and say, God's judgment is coming to you because you're the way you're doing, the way you are doing society is harmful to the people whom God loves and mm. holds. That's so good. That's so good, Corey. Um, as, as we kind of wrap up our, our time together, I did, I want to ask you one more question. Uh, wh- and I don't, as you have had relationships with people who maybe at one point were on one side of the conversation, but for some reason or whatever have had some maybe personal awakening or, or, or a relationship that's informed um, their thinking on, on the conversation around racial injustice and maybe have now moved to the other side of the conversation, maybe understanding uh, a little bit more of the unique challenges that people of color in our country face, what, what have you noticed helps to sustain someone like that to continue to be a, a friend, to continue to be an ally, to continue to step into those conversations? How, what, are, what are some of those characteristics that keep people in the conversation for the long haul? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things. I think the first thing is proximity to um, someone a person of color. So if, if you're white and you're watching this, having proximity to a person of color who you are in authentic relationship with, um, it, that you listen to and that you um, sit in their story gives you this sort of relational connection. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Um, Brenda Salter McNeil, actually in her book, Roadmap to, Recon- excuse me, Roadmap to Reconciliation, talks about a catalytic event, which is for the nation, it's George Floyd, or maybe even Ahmaud Arbery. Like that was like this event that everyone 
in the world, really. I mean, literally in the world. I think there were 19 countries who protested after George Floyd's uh, lynching in, in Minnesota. Like, all around the world, people saw this and were outraged by it, right? So there was this catalytic event that happened that caused people to go, there's something not right, and I'm emotionally connected to it. Mm. I think the next layer from that is to be emotionally connected to an individual, another human being who you share life with. Maybe you go to church with them, maybe you work with them, maybe something. a lot of us in 2020 have um, different ethnicities within our own family, you know, within our extended family, someone somewhere, yeah. someone. And so even having um, people in your family that you're like, hey, I just want to ask questions of you if you're okay with it. Because um, during times like these, a lot of black folks, and it's slowed down now, but, you know, I have, this is a sad reality. Um, I'm, I'm sure there will be another incident. I'm sure there will be another incident of anti-black yeah. violence in America because that's been happening in America since America started. Um, but black folks will have lots of people hitting them up, trying to talk to them. So, yeah. so be being sensitive to that fact going, Hey, I'm sure you may be busy, whatever. I'd love to, to whatever I can do socially distanced and responsible, sit down with you and have a conversation if you're into it. Um, I think that helps. And I think, um, but not to use a human being as if they're Google, right? Mm. Because Google doesn't get tired. Google is never stressed. Google is never emotionally feeling the weight of being a minority in a country like America. So you can always go to Google to ask questions also, right? And, and educate yourself. What books and resources are out there? What are the best books on race and racism for Christians? You could put that into a Google search engine or Yahoo or whatever, or Bing or whatever you use, right? Um, and, 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 and inform yourself and continue to get information. The people I know, um, the non-Black folks that I know that are involved in this conversation and in this movement as allies are all people who continue to educate themselves. That's right. They read books, they listen to podcasts, they watch webinars, they are, they are, they have gone, this is something I need to educate myself on. Yeah. I'm going to do that. And then lastly, I would say, I mean, I think, I, I, I think that prayer is an important part of this. I think prayer, I think praying for people does something interesting to all of our hearts mm. when it comes to those folks. You know, I, I, yeah. um, I, I think it's unique um, in the Christian faith that we pray for our enemies yeah. Jesus instructions to pray for our enemies. So I, I like to think I don't have enemies, but you mentioned them about my Facebook. There are people on my Facebook who are pretty harsh. Yeah. Um, and, and, they're, and, and those things are hurtful. And I find yeah. myself praying for them. And in praying for them, something happens. I don't agree with them still. And I still think they're mean, wicked people. Um, but something happens in my heart to where I go, God, could you help them? Yeah. Um, and so I think that that prayer for others, prayer for myself in this area is, is another thing that's probably under not talked about enough, but is is a, is a valuable tool in God shaping our heart and helping us to understand how we can operate in a world in a way that promotes the justice, the dignity, the citizenship and well-being of every human being mm, mm. who has the Imago Dei, the image of God within them. That's so good. That's so good, brother. Thank you. 
Thank you so much. Um, you know, one of one, a great resource if people want to keep hearing you have some of these conversations. And I want to make sure I'm saying this right. Is it the existential podcast or is it existent existential podcast? Existential podcast. With, with okay. Corey. Yeah, that's, okay. that's a great place to to listen to the conversations we've been having and and um and to continue to to walk this journey. Yep. Awesome. Well, Corey, this is the last thing I'm going to ask you to do, but but would you mind praying for us as we as we wrap up today? For sure. Awesome. Well, God, I pray um, for Eden Church and for Daniel and the other pastors on staff, and and I pray, God, that um, you would animate their work with your wisdom, your spirit with your compassion and your justice. I pray God that in the midst of the weariness of being about goodwill in general, it's, it is not an easy thing to do. It's, it's hard work, it's messy work. Um, it is not without opposition. And I just pray um, that you would give the people of Eden Church the peace that passes understanding the, um, and the, uh, I pray that their feet would be, um, their feet would be ready with the gospel, with the good news that is good news for everyone. The good news that that God is um, here with us. That Jesus came to make known that God loves mankind, loves humanity. That God chooses to draw near to all of us, and that God has imprinted all of us with the image of God. I uh, pray that you are just with all, all of the folks that are watching this. I pray your peace, prosperity, and blessing on their lives. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen.